Okay. Um, so we're going to today take a look at Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 22. We want to look at just some of the events that happened after the birth of Jesus that are significant and important. And so we're going to start at 22 and go through 40 if you have a Bible or you can, can look up here. <clears throat> when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will, will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived, lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. I'll just pause right there and say that uh, it, it's not really clear whether the text says that she was a widow until she was 84, or it could say that she was a widow for 84 years. And so some biblical scholars believe that she could have been over 100 years old. Uh, she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Lord, I pray uh, that you would speak to us this morning from your word. Uh, we thank you for your word. We acknowledge and just declare again that your word is true, that it is God-breathed, that it is from you to us. And we pray that you would give revelation to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to kind of walk you through, kind of give you some chronology here, just kind of walk through uh, the events that, that take place uh, 
when you read the stories of Matthew and Luke, the birth stories, there, there are some differences. But, but if you lay them side by side and, and kind of look at them chronologically, it all makes sense. Now, uh, maybe the, the most interesting thing in the whole deal is that uh, it is believed that Jesus was born around 4 BC. So, four years before Christ. <laughs> Go figure that out. Um, so, so around 4 BC, uh, Joseph and Mary traveled to Naz- from Nazareth to Bethlehem uh, because of the census. Uh, Jesus is born there in Bethlehem, e- either in a cave or in the lower room of a house or a stable. Sometimes the lower room of the house is where they kept animals. And so um, could have been any of those places. Shepherds come to the birth, you know, right after he's born, shepherds come uh, and angels worship. So that that all happens. Uh, Eight days after the birth, uh, Joseph and Mary take Jesus to be circumcised. Now it's, um, according to Leviticus chapter 12, when a woman gives birth to a baby boy, she is considered unclean for seven days. And then on the eighth day, she is to go and, and have uh, the boy circumcised. Now, I will go ahead and throw this out there. And, and you, you, husbands and wives, you can discuss the theological significance of this over, over lunch. <clears throat> but <laughs> if, if she has a baby girl, she's considered unclean for two weeks. And, and then she has to wait 66 days before she can go for purification. With a boy... She's considered unclean for seven days and only has to wait 33 days to go for purification. So I'll just throw that out there for you all to discuss over lunch. And uh, you all should have fun with that. So um, it's probably what Mary and Joseph do is they they take uh, Jesus more than likely uh, for his circumcision at a local synagogue, maybe even in, in Bethlehem. And then they have to wait 33 days after that which is 41 days after the birth, uh, Mary and Joseph travel uh, from Bethlehem now to Jerusalem uh, for the purification. Uh, Purification is required. And it's interesting, uh, a lot of scholars believe that that both Mary and Joseph participated in the purification because they believe that, that Joseph participated in the birth of the child, which makes sense because there, there really, as far as we know, there was nobody else there. Uh, there was nobody there. Unless they take, took a midwife with them on the journey, which is possible. They knew she was pregnant. Um, so it's possible that they took a, a midwife uh, with them. And so you don't know. But I, I don't have really this picture of Joseph standing out in the lobby pacing, you know, and, and waiting to hand out cigars. I, I think that Joseph was in there. I think he was there with Mary, and I, I think he probably participated in the birthing. And so the uh, possibility is that they were both uh, considered unclean and had to participate together in this. So the sacrifice uh, of two doves or two pigeons, which is required, is the requirement for people who are poor. Uh, you can look at uh, Levit- Leviticus 12 again. It says that uh, the, the normal sacrifice for those who can afford it is a lamb. Uh, there's a, there's a, a burnt offering and a sin offering. And there, there's a lamb and a dove is what is considered 
the accepted offering for those who can afford it. But if you can't afford a lamb and a dove, then you can bring two doves or two pigeons. And Mary and Joseph bring two doves, which would indicate to us a couple of things. Number one is they were poor. Number two is the Magi haven't come yet. Because if the Magi had come already, they wouldn't be poor. Uh, they would be actually required by the law because now they can afford it because they have gold. Uh, they would be required by the law to bring the more expensive gift. So we know the Magi haven't come yet. So uh, sacrifice of two doves or pigeons, what is required? They bring, uh, bring them, make their offering. Uh, they also go to Jerusalem to present Jesus to the Lord. Uh, this is uh, customary, it's actually required of every firstborn male. Uh, so at this point, Simeon uh, prophesies through the Holy Spirit concerning Jesus, and, and Anna does as well. Uh, and then after the purification and consecration, the family returns then um, to Bethlehem. Now, within a year, probably, uh, of their return to Bethlehem, the Magi come. And they bring the gifts. And so Jesus is maybe a year old, maybe even a little bit older, when the Magi get there. And they bring gifts. And they're, they're living in Bethlehem. They've been now in Bethlehem for about a year. And they're probably living, living in a house by now, maybe the same house. Um, after the Magi leave, Herod the Great orders the killing of male children to and under. Uh, now, this seems like such an over-the-top shocking thing for us, but Herod the Great, if you look into him a little bit, he was known for killing people. He really was. He was known for killing people that he thought uh, represented a threat to him. And, and really, his violence uh, had no bounds. He, he actually he executed two high priests. He ex executed three of his own sons, and get this, he executed his favorite wife. Uh, who knows about the ones that weren't his favorite, but he executed his favorite wife. And so the angel warns Joseph to go to Egypt because of this, this threat. And then by the end of 4 BC or the beginning of 3, Herod dies. And the angel tells Joseph that it's safe to return. Uh, at this time, uh, they go back and, and they settle now in Nazareth, which is where Jesus grows up. So uh, that's kind of the story uh, of what happens leading up to the birth and then uh, in the first year after the birth. And I would just say that the meticulous attention to detail in the observances indicate how seriously Judaism took approaching God. Now, the whole point of making these sacrifices, the whole point of Mary and Joseph going and, and being purified is so that they, so they could go to the temple and worship. And so this, the, the privilege, the opportunity of worshiping was not something they took for granted. It was something that was so precious to them that they were willing to go through all the steps necessary to make uh, a, a lawful approach to God. 
They were very meticulous. Now, um, Simeon is described as righteous and devout. And sometimes we just throw those words around and we might say of somebody, he's righteous and devout. And, and what we mean by that probably is that he's a, he's a good, good man or, or she's a good woman and, and loves God. In the Hebrew, it's a little more specific. Uh, in the Greek, it's a little more specific. When, when Simeon is described as righteous and devout, uh, the Greek word that's used for righteous is, is the translation of the Hebrew word in the Old Testament used for righteous that describes most of the prophets and uh, also describes Job. So to be righteous is uh, someone who walks with God. Uh, Simeon is described as righteous, and that description is used uh, for those prophets. And then devout is a word that indicates a a certain status or wisdom. And so when they recognize Simeon as righteous and devout, what they're really saying is that Simeon is an older man, who has a history of walking with God and being faithful. And, and I just want to say about that, that and, I, and I'll probably come back to this a little bit later. Um, one of the things that I'm most thankful for at Riverstone is the number of, of men and women who have a history of walking with God and being faithful. Um, I, I hope that our young people understand the value of having people older than you who have walked with God for, for a period of time, who have remained faithful, who have learned from him, who have grown in wisdom over the years. I love the fact that we have spiritual fathers and mothers and even spiritual grandfathers and grandmothers in this congregation. You know, a lot of what we do at Riverstone is considered young. Even though somebody told me today that my beard made me look old. Um, Thanks, Yomi. Uh, So, a lot of what we do, though, it really is, is considered young, right? I mean, the way our building is configured... Is not your traditional necessarily church. Our, our worship is called, you know, if you want to label it, it's called contemporary. Uh, and it's kind of geared towards the young, right? And, and you need to understand, young people, that, and I can say this now because I am one, the reason that our church is positioned that way is because the old people have done it on purpose because we care about you and we want to invest in you and we want you to grow up uh, in the knowledge of the Lord and those of us who have walked with God and I I have walked with the Lord for 42 years now and there are people here who uh, I won't name names who have walked with the Lord much longer than I have much longer than I have. And uh, they too, I mean, they're here today. They're singing songs that were written for people like your age, but they're here and they're engaging 
and, and they are participating and they are giving and they are leading because they care about y'all. I think that's a pretty big deal. So Simeon is described as righteous and devout. And, uh, and like I said, devout is a word that, that indicates status or wisdom. And Simeon says, God, you can just take me now. That's basically what he says. He said, God, uh, you can take me now. You promised that I would see the coming of the Messiah, and I have seen him, and it doesn't get any better than this. Just take me now. That's basically what Simeon says. Nothing can compare to this baby that I'm holding. He prophesies that Jesus will be a light to the Gentiles, which means uh, Jesus will be the revelation or the introduction to the blessing of covenant with God. So the Gentiles don't know about the covenant with God. And, and before Jesus, uh, the coming of Jesus introduces the Gentiles to this covenant. And it says that uh, Jesus will be the glory for Israel. So for Israel, it's a little bit different. It's not the introduction of the covenant. It's the fulfillment of the covenant, the covenant of promise. And, and what was the promise? Part of the promise to Israel was, you will be blessed and you will be a blessing. You will be a blessing that the nations of the world will turn to God because of you. That's a pretty incredible promise. Uh, so Simeon says, just take me now. Uh, I've, I've seen what I was put on this earth to see. Uh, also, uh, he prophesies that, that Jesus' coming will cause both rise and fall in Israel. Here, here's the thing we need to just notice, uh, take note of, and maybe ponder, is that Jesus actually, the coming of Jesus split the nation. It split the nation. Some will embrace him. Others will reject and oppose him. And then he says to Mary, a sword will pierce your soul. And if you're a mother, you understand that. Uh, if you're a father, you understand that. Uh, when your child is the subject of rejection or ridicule, or opposition, and ultimately, violent death. It is a sword through your soul. And then also we mentioned Anna. Anna is there, and she's a widow, been a widow for a long time. And she has committed her life to intercession, and she spends her time in the temple praying, interceding. So that's the story, and, and here's what I want to say about it. Uh, number one, uh, be intentional about worship. Uh, the Jewish people were very meticulous. They went through all the steps uh, to make sure that, that their worship would be acceptable. And we don't have to go through the, the rituals, but I would, I would encourage you, in fact, I would urge you to prepare for worship. Don't be careless. Now, some people like to come into worship quietly. Uh, you'll, if you come in here early on any given Sunday, you may find sprinkled in here some people who are sitting and they're quiet and they're being reflective and contemplative and they're, they're preparing their hearts for worship. 
Other people have more of a celebratory approach to worship, and, and it's a party. And, and I love I actually snuck back here in the back uh, for worship today. Uh, you know why? Because Alyssa Gehring was back there. She wasn't up here today. She was back there in the corner, and she was having a party. And I saw her over there having a party, and I thought, well, I want to be in that party. And so I just went over there and, and kind of joined the worship party in the corner. And it was very celebratory. And I want to say that both of those are right. Sometimes you're quiet and sometimes you're reflective. And sometimes you just can't get over the fact that you actually get to come and worship. And you're turning cartwheels as you come in the room. So either of those approaches is great. Here, here's what's not great, just being careless. Just being careless, not even thinking about worship until the middle of the second song. So be intentional. Think about it. Maybe, maybe don't wait till Sunday morning to think about it. Think about it all week and, and prepare your heart for corporate worship. Now, one of the ways that you can prepare your heart for corporate worship is to have private worship all week long. Now, become a person of worship. What is worship? Worship is where we give to him. And so, again, the focus of worship is him. Now, do we get to enjoy each other while we do it? Absolutely, we do. Uh, but we have ministry time at the end where we focus on each other and we pray for each other and we minister to each other. The real focus of worship is, is him. So make sure that you're intentional in your focus of the Lord as you approach him in worship. So be intentional about approaching God in worship. And then the second thing I would mention is uh, all division is not bad. We love unity, but we need to be clear about what kind of unity we're talking about. We want unity in the body of Christ. We want unity among those who believe those who have repented of their sins, put their faith in Jesus, and are walking with him. We want to walk in unity as the body of Christ. But we don't want unity that says, I'm going to compromise what I believe. I'm going to lay down my convictions. I'm going to embrace what I know is a lie for the sake of unity. When we seek unity with the world... Doesn't, it doesn't really work. Because just like Simeon said of Jesus, his coming will split the nation. And so I, I would say to you, uh, as a follower of Christ, you should expect that some people will love you for it and some people will hate you for it. And you need to be okay with that. The Bible actually says to be wary when everyone speaks well of you, when everybody loves you, which, you know, probably at some point in time, that's the goal of all of our lives. I just want everybody to like me, especially, you know, when you're maybe in middle school. That's like a huge goal then. I just wish everybody would be nice to me. Well, as a believer, as a follower of God, it's not going to happen. 
In fact, Jesus promised that trouble was coming. In this life, you will have trouble. And Simeon looks at Mary and says, it's going to be a sword going right through your soul. So, you know, Mary's, Mary's had some incredible promises up until this point. Angel of the Lord says, God has seen you. The favor of the Lord is upon you. You're going to have a child. He's going to be the son of God. And he will save the world from sin. And Simeon says, and there's going to be a, a sword through your heart. And really, that is a true picture of walking with God. It's an incredible, exhilarating experience. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you could have it at its absolute highest level. And there are those moments of just ecstasy where you're walking with God and it is fabulous and it is wonderful. It's un amazing. It's unbelievable. But there are also those moments where the sword goes through your soul. And those are times when you're, when you're you're challenged and your thinking is challenged and you want to ask God, why? Why is this happening? Why, did, why are you letting this happen? And I want to say loud and clear, it is okay for you to ask those questions. It is. Go ask, ask. You're not going to hurt his feelings. Ask on. But also, I want you to, to, to learn to live and expect that his promise to you is not a smooth road. What his promise was is that you would never be alone on the road. Sometimes it's smooth. Sometimes it's rough. Sometimes it's uphill. Sometimes it's downhill. You're never alone. Never alone. Now, here's the third thing. Everyone who repents and believes has a seat at the table. Everyone who repents and believes has a seat at the table. Think about this. Uh, in this scripture, we have Gentiles. Uh, it says that the coming of Jesus is going to be a revelation or a light to the Gentiles. They're going to be introduced to this covenant. They're going to be invited into relationship with God. So the Gentiles have a seat at the table. And then Israel's going to be, this is the glory of Israel, the coming of Jesus. And this fulfillment of the promise where they will be blessed and they will be a blessing. So the is Israelis who, who put their faith in Christ have a seat at the table. And the shepherds, the shepherds have a seat at the table, and the shepherds represent the common man, the common person. They're, they're not rich. They're pretty just hardworking guys, hardworking gals, just pushing the sheep. And they're at the table. And then the magi, and the magi are a little different. Magi have a little status, a little clout. They're a little higher up the economical food chain, if you will. They're wise people of means, and, and they are invited in. They, they have a seat at the table. And then Joseph and Mary have a seat at the table. Most scholars believe that Mary was a teenager. 
maybe as young as 14. So teenagers, middle schoolers, have a, have a, a seat at the table. And Joseph, Joseph is just a hard-working husband and father. He has a, a seat at the table. We, we call him a carpenter. Chances are he worked with wood and stone and maybe even metal. Uh, but he, he was maybe a mason. I'd like to think he was a mason. <laughs> Hard-working husband and a father. And then we have Simeon. Simeon is a prophet or, or an older person of faith, a spiritual father. And then Anna, as we said earlier, Anna may have been 100 years old. She was married. Her husband died after only seven years of marriage. And then, and then she was a widow after that. And she, she spent the majority of her life committed to intercession in the temple. And so men, women, young, old, rich, poor, Everybody is invited to the table. Everybody's invited to the table. And so if you're here today, you are invited to the table. You're not pushed to the back. You're not asked to sit in the corner. You're invited to the table. You're invited to sit around the table of God. You're invited to be active in service to the Lord. You are actually invited to join the mission of God. The mission of God. Because his invitation to us, number one is, yes, he invites you to come, to be forgiven of your sins and to, to be made alive in him. That I came that you might have life and that you might have it at its absolute highest level. That is true for you. And also, the second part of that invitation is, now, join me. Join me in my mission to change the world. Join me in my mission to reach and save the lost. Join me. And every one of you, young, old, male, female, rich, poor, black, white, brown, no matter, every one of you is invited to the table. And every one of you has a role to play. And my prayer for everyone in this room is that 2020 will be a year of discovery. That 2020 will be the year that you realize. If you haven't, maybe you already know, but if you haven't realized before that 2020 will be the year that you discover why God put you on this earth. And that you will never be the same again as you learn to join him in his mission. Now, let's pray. <laughs> Lord, you, you didn't need us. You really, you, you don't need us. But you chose us. You chose us, you invited us. Because you want us. And, and we declare to you today that we want you. We want you. And we want everything that you have.
for us and everything that you want to do through us. In Jesus' name, amen.